0: Our guest today on The Year That Made Me is one of Australia's great storytellers. His photographs of Sydney in the 1970s and 80s captured critical moments in the gay liberation movement and much, much more. And it led to William Young being described as the preeminent social historian of the period. William's career really took off with the breakthrough 1977 exhibition at the Australian Centre for Photography, Sydney Files. It was one of the first times that Australian gay photos had been shown in a gallery. Since then, William's continued to document not only his own life, but the lives of many, many others in photography. But also, he's taken the humble photo slideshow, showing pictures and telling stories about them, and literally elevated it into an art form. To the point that at the Sydney Theatre Awards in January this year, William Young received the Lifetime Achievement Award. And as part of World Pride 2023, the State Library of New South Wales is now representing that original 1977 exhibition of Williams under the title Sydney Files Reimagined. William Young, welcome to The Year That Made Me. Hi, Julian. Could you tell us a little bit about your early life, William?
1: Well, I was born in uh, a place in North Queensland called Mariba, but I actually grew up in Dimbula, which is a small tobacco town on the Atherton Tableland, and I had relatives in Cairns, so I went to high school in Cairns, which which incidentally was the worst time of my life, high school, because I really wanted to fit in but uh, and to, to be popular. but uh, somehow, because I was
0: Chinese, it was difficult. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that. Your bio at the National Portrait Gallery says he realised he was Chinese at age six, and some might think that's a pretty late stage to realise such a thing. Could you tell us how your understanding of yourself as a Chinese person in Australia came about? When I was
1: about six years old, one of the kids at school called me Ching Chong Chinaman, born in a jar, christened in a teapot, ha, ha, ha. I had no idea. Deal what he was talking about, mm. although I knew from his expression he was being horrible to me. So I went home to my mother and I said to her, "Mom, I'm not Chinese, am I? And my mother looked at me very sternly and she said, Yes, you are. Her tone was hard and it shocked me. And I knew in that moment that being Chinese was like some terrible curse and I could not rely on my mother for help.
0: You've also written that later in life, you quote, came out as Chinese, which probably wasn't that much of a shock to many people. But I wonder if you could tell us what you meant by that idea of coming out as Chinese.
1: Well, uh, I was in my mid-30s when that happened. I came, became Taoist, which is a Chinese philosophy, and it led me to reclaiming my Chinese heritage And also researching my family story, which uh, I'd kind of denied I was Chinese Mm. right up until then. And um, I made it into a performance piece called Sadness. And that was like really a, a breakthrough event. This is in 1992. In fact, in Sydney Files, the, my exhibition, I, I, I wasn't born again Chinese then, so there's a, a lack of there's a lack of Chinese um, content in it. But after 1983, there's a lot of Chinese content in my work. I've travelled up to North Queensland and I'm re- researching my uncle's murder, which happened in 1922, and Also, I visited places in Australia where the Chinese have been. This was in 1990. I visited places like Broome and Darwin and the the remains of the gold fields in Victoria and New South Wales. Although a lot of that has been destroyed, the the actual sites, the most evidence I could find was in cemeteries. Yeah.
0: On The Year That Made Me, we're speaking with William Young. And, William, we've talked about you coming out as Chinese. That wasn't the only coming out that you had to do. Uh, at high school in Cairns, which you've described as a very rough time, uh, I believe that you came across an article that made you feel like, quote, there were only four homosexuals in the world, Oscar Wilde, Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo and me. Could you tell <laughs> us about that?
1: Well, yes, uh I knew that I was gay, but I had never articulated it in my mind. And Mm. um, uh, I I just wasn't quite certain what what it was. And I was reading the afternoon newspaper, and it had an article about homosexuality. I was about 16 at the time. And so I read the article, and I thought, oh, God, there's a name for it. The shock of recognition rather hit me like a thunderbolt. The article named three famous uh, homosexuals in history, um, and I thought there's four homosexuals in the world. (laughs) And it kind of remained like that really for the whole time I was in Cairns and where that happened. And to a large extent, when I went to university in Brisbane, I never had much contact with gay people or found anything like a gay community in Brisbane. There Mm. was one, but I didn't access it.
0: It seems like you really discovered that community uh, in Sydney. Uh, And you've also said that when you came out, that was in itself a political act. Could you tell us about that personal decision and maybe set the scene of what it was like to be a young, gay Chinese Australian in Sydney in the 1970s?
1: Well, um, Sydney, the 70s was a time of liberation. There was the women's movement and the gay movement. And so it, it was a time of gay liberation. I feel that... I never consciously came out, but I was swept out by the movement. And uh, there were parties. I, w- I wasn't political. I never went to the meetings of Camp Inc., for example, which was the which was a political movement. Um, but I did go to the parties, and gradually the numbers increased. There were more and more people coming out, uh, being visible displaying themselves as gay and gay and lesbian and so i feel that i was just swept into this this thing and just went along with it and it was a really quite an exciting time um there were appearances on television there was dennis altman who'd written a book called homosexual oppression and liberation and uh he became a spokesperson for the movement. So it, it was on the news, people would talk about it and certainly there, were, there was a lot of activity on the social front. Mm.
0: So some people were publicly speaking about their homosexuality and advocating for uh, more civil rights. Uh, you documented the scene at the time as a photographer. Uh, could you tell us how you got into photography?
1: Yes, well, I've been an architect and also um, a playwright or theatre theatre person. And I tried, when I came to Sydney in 1969, I tried to make a living as a playwright and, and I joined up with an experimental theatre group called Performance Syndicate. Uh, but I couldn't make a living as a playwright, but I could take photos, I'm self-taught, but I had a Pentax camera. And I was surrounded by actors who needed portfolio shots. And I started taking photographs of y- young actors who I, who I knew. But I decided to become a freelance photographer. And I'd photograph really anything that, I, that people would pay me money for that I could do because I've said that I was self-taught, so I didn't have a studio. So a lot of the stuff that I took was events and um, out there in the world. And eventually I started doing social pictures for magazines. And so that led me into a kind of celebrity realm uh, at, at the time. And there were the kind of old style celebrities, you, you know, people like Sonia McMahon, mm-hmm. Ida Butros, Maggie Tabara. But there was also young people that I identified with. In fact, even people who I'd consider part of my group that, that I was photographing and they would include people like Brett Whiteley and Martin Sharp and Richard Mm. Neville and the fashion duo Jenny Key and Linda Jackson were very close friends of mine in the 70s and I would photograph their fashion parades. They were the most glamorous events that I'd ever been to.
0: (laughs) So, William Young, what year have you chosen as the year that made you and why?
1: Well, I've chosen 1977 because that was the year that I had my first solo exhibition, Sydney Files, at the Australian Centre for Photography in Paddington. And I just put in all the photographs that I'd taken. They'll load of the photographs of Jenny and Linda, for example, and our dear friends, uh, Peter Tully and David McDermott, who were gay artists, and Brett Whiteley. They're, they're all there. and. I showed a lot of photographs. It, it was like a f- snapshot of a subculture, mm. which, which was both an alternative artistic subculture and also gay photographs. Uh, this is before the Mardi Gras, so there are mainly photographs of parties, but there was a theatre group called S- Sylvia and the Synthetics, that appeared in the mid-70s, seemingly out of nowhere, and they were outrageous, totally outrageous, like theatre and performance, like nothing I'd ever seen before. And they also were kind of like, they'd come to parties in character, like they they would be made up, and they were always the life of the party. And sometimes they'd... um, do a do a little performance at a party uh they'd bring along their tapes and they might do a dusty springfield show and um they were just such an asset to any party if the synthetics (laughs) came along
0: William, you've said also that that exhibition, Sydney Files, was one of the first time that gay Australians had been shown in a photography exhibition. What did it take to actually bring Sydney Files about as an exhibition?
1: Um, Bronwyn Thomas was the director of the gallery and she more or less agreed to an exhibition. And uh, I think she was um, privately a bit appalled by the photographs that I was going to show but she didn't stop me I, I can remember her saying you're not going to show that are you and so <laughs> and so it was like a, an amalgam of all the photographs I'd taken and um, I'd taken photographs at this gay saunas for example and looking back at them I was a bit worried w- w- when we're revisiting these photographs what they'd be like uh, because i I'd only been photographing for three or four years when I had the ex- exhibition, but now that I look at them, they're really quite fresh and bold and and I like that in fact, so, some of them I probably wouldn't even take nowadays but mm. um but I was just bolder then, and the times were different because people were liberating themselves and anything seemed possible so there was it's it's just a strange thing i couldn't take a camera into a sauna nowadays and take photos
0: William, I'm very relieved to hear that Sydney Files Reimagined hasn't been traumatic for you, that you can look back um, and, uh, and be, be happy with the results of that really uh, iconic exhibition. Let's move on now to the way your storytelling expanded after 1977. We've talked about the photos, but you also started performing oral histories with slides. And as I've said, you really transformed that into an art form. How did that come about?
1: I had a set of... Um transparencies or color photographs it was very expensive in those days to get a color print there was a process called Cibachrome, and that was quite expensive whereas I was doing the black and white prints myself and so I had a whole collection of color photos which I wanted to show so I started to project them and when you project photographs there's a natural tendency to talk as, as you're showing the, the um, images. And also I added music to it too. Um, that started me off showing color photos. I did slideshows in people's living rooms for about five years before I had enough material to put on a show I did a show in 1989 at the downstairs Belvoir called The Face of Buddha. And uh, everyone liked the format of the Mm. talking, the slides, and the music. And I knew that I was onto a winner there, although I lost money on the show. But I persevered. (laughs) And uh, a few years later, I did a piece called Sadness. And I got an Australia Council grant to do it. And I traveled up to North Queensland. I was looking into the story of my uncle's murder in 1922 Mm. and how that affected my family. And then in Sydney at that time, 1992, was in the middle of the AIDS pandemic and Mm. so that was like the gay um, story in sadness. And um, I was kind of appalled when I looked at my photographs then in the 90s to to realize that I'd been to more funerals than I'd been to parties in a yeah. ser- at, at that time. And so I decided I'd just go with that and do a full-on um, show about AIDS. That seemed to work at the At that time, um, it's very good if you can do a show that's very much on the s- social issues of the time, and that was an issue that people were living through and were talking about. And so sadness was a huge success for me. It uh, toured Australia and it also toured the world. Uh, and so that kind of started me off on performance.
0: And I think you've described sadness as your greatest piece. Is that still how you look at it? Yes, it has got uh, very strong themes in it. Uh,
1: Love and death, which are two very strong themes.
0: Just finally, I wonder if you could give us your reflections on the way Chinese culture and Chinese Australians are accepted in Australia these days and how you've seen it change over the years.
1: Yes, well, it's come a long way. awareness and acceptance of Chinese or Asian-ness to be more inclusive. Mm. Um, it's had its up, ups and downs. It's been like a fairly gradual process of people accepting. There have been a few bumps. There's been a gradual ex, uh, acceptance, but a, a person like Pauline Hansen comes on the scene in the 90s and she gives – the public permission to hate Asians. That's, that's a kind of blunt way of putting it.
0: Mm. And so
1: when you give people permission to do that, that brings out the worst in people. But we've got Penny Wong, for example, who's a politician who's very widely accepted and admired, I believe. And she's a great spokesperson for Asianness.
0: Well, William, uh, it has been fantastic speaking with you. Thanks for joining us on The Year That Made Me. And we always finish this segment by asking our guests to choose a piece of music to go out with. It seems very appropriate given your uh, integration of photography, storytelling and music. What shall we finish up with today?
1: Well, I've chosen John Paul Young's Lovers in the Air because that was released in 1977, which was the same year Yes. as Sydney Files' exhibition. And I've even got a photo of John Paul Young in the exhibition. He's, at, he's actually at a book launch. But the song had an, another resonance. Like when the same-sex marriage plebiscite result was announced in Sydney... As soon as the results came out and we had won the plebiscite, same-sex marriage, the producers pushed the real John Young on stage and he sang Love is in the Air over the loudspeakers. And it was just amazing that Mm. that 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 happened. And I didn't even recognise him because this is 40 years (laughs) after the bumper book of rock but then there he was in the flesh singing love is in the air at that momentous moment another momentous moment in gay and lesbian etc history
0: (laughs) well the air is always full of more joy when john paul young's love is in the air is playing william young thank you for speaking with us and thanks for selecting that great track which we'll hear now thank
1: you julian it's been a pleasure. with ABC RN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen
0: app's call and text features.